Let's get into our Mother's Day conversation. So happy Mother's Parent Day. And uh, the idea of parent is there are some that uh, uh, they don't have a mother around. Somebody else is parenting. So I think we're going to do that for Father's Day too. Is just make sure we add in the, the Mother Parent Day and Father Parent Day just to include those that are in unique circumstances because everyone is included. So this is where we're going to get into. But... Mom, how many times have you heard, but mom, have you heard that? Lauren, have you ever said that to your mom? <laughs> yes, yes. What about uh, Courtney? Have your kids ever said that? Oh, she, yes. Julie, it's coming. <laughs> yes, but mom. So this is from my friend Bob Engel. He was uh, part of a conversation on Still Growing Grace last Wednesday and will be this coming Wednesday. He writes, from his perspective, Jesus understood the role of mother in life. In his last moments on the cross, he said, behold thy mother. Our mothers are the most important comforting spirit. They're also the birthing spirit who pushes us from our pre-birth comfort into the world for the first time it needs us. Where we were before and the timing and purpose of our existence is a great cosmic mystery between our creator and that most amazing person we know as mom. At marriage in Canaan, John chapter 2, Jesus' mother said they have no wine when he said, but mom, <laughs> not really, but you get it. She ignored his resistance, which is normal, <laughs> pushing him into his life's purpose just as she had 30 years earlier in the barn in Bethlehem. These days, my mother's spirit keeps saying, Bob, they have no wine. I'm getting a theme here, aren't you? All right. She pushes me into my purpose, just like she did so many years before. It's my time to make new wine. And the birthing spirit never bear, hears but mom. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Little kids, don't do that. Like little ones. Dedicated to all the mothers who never took but mom for an answer. <laughs> Even the baby's laughing. I love that. There we go. Okay. How do we handle this Mother's Day theme with wisdom and care? I want to take you through some stories in the scriptures of some of the moms that are underappreciated. You'll know some of the names, but sometimes we only get the glory stories, you know, um, the good stuff only, or, or of the kids they bore, and we don't hear about the moms. We just hear about their kid and all the stuff they did, good or bad, <laughs> right? But here, let's take a look at this for the true source. And Bob Engel kind of alluded to it in his, in his little devotional. But in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 4, it says, Father of all mercy, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is our merciful Father, and the, here it is, the source of all comfort. Bob was writing that moms tend to be a source of comfort. Typically, that's true. Fathers are too, but clearly we know moms tend to traditionally uh, give the greater, greater comfort, but we're not going to pigeonhole people into little boxes. So don't, if you think I'm doing that, you're hearing me wrong. But the point is, the source of that comfort is God. Comforting through mom or dad or friend or neighbor or somebody who is in that person's life. 
God's the source of that comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. Now pause there a minute. Someone could say, yeah, but God doesn't comfort in all trouble because I've had trouble and I didn't feel any comfort. What if comfort was there and you were unaware? What if there was so much noise in your pain you couldn't hear the comfort? Or you may have refused it or rejected it because of already brittle relationships around you maybe from your own doing, maybe from somebody else's doing, but the comfort was there. You just weren't receiving it. That requires some honesty and humility. You gotta think about that. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Most mothers have had this model. Most of us have had comfort modeled by somebody amazing. I give an illustration at a funeral, maybe not as detailed, but growing up in a um, uh, large Baptist church, uh, community was very different back then, a little bit different than it is now. It was a, it was a full cultural one because it was also German. So you have all the German culture, and, which means coffee and cake all the time or many meals is how we, how we rolled, right? You had a lot of fellowship times. But when one kid kind of got out of line, a different parent who happened to see it would do the ear pulling. Did you notice how long my ears are? That was set up. <laughs> but when there's pain, the whole community comes and comforts. In fact, the funeral I did on Friday was for a dear friend of my mom's, Geta Pets. And... Um, her husband passed away suddenly in a tragic car crash, and I think it was in the early or late 70s, just on the way to, to camp. And if, I think it was like a family camp. I don't know what was going on, but the whole church knew this family. And even though I was young, and I, I can't remember details of who said what, I fully remember all the the serious attention and care that went into this tragedy. Everybody trying to help, trying to comfort, everybody. It was a community, and guess who the source of that comfort was? It was God. God doesn't just comfort with church either. Not at all. I remember a neighbor up the street had a tragic circumstance happen. And one person on the street rallied everyone else. It took one person, I call them the Barnabas, who reached out, because none of us, you know, we're, we're, everybody's private. A lot of them were Europeans, you don't do that. But one person with a personality that could get away with it rallied everybody to bring food, to help take care of the lawn, and, and just take care of things while this crisis was going on. We don't see that here today either. That's happening less and less because our garages are, we have a door inside the garage. Now, so you go in, you don't even see your neighbors half the time. Community, comfort. That person who ran around rallying everybody, the source of that comfort was God. And it didn't look religious, but it was Christ like, whether they knew it or not. God's the source of it. The First Nations translation says, all blessings belong to the great spirit who is the father of our honored chief creator, sets free, Jesus, the chosen one. He is a kind-hearted and merciful father, the maker of life who walks by our side to give us help 
and the great spirit of all comfort. The great spirit walks with us through times of trouble, giving us courage and well-being so that we can give to others the same comfort he has given to us. We have all had comfort modeled, every one of us. Maybe we have trouble giving comfort to someone else, but maybe, maybe our sensitivities or antennas have been chopped down through difficult circumstances. But it's like those old cars. They pull back up. <laughs> Some are snapped off, but they can be replaced. But comfort, true comfort, the source is God, the one who created us. Let's take a look at some of these mothers of the Bible who didn't have it easy. We know enough parents that didn't have it easy. As I grew up in a home with extremely strictness, like extreme, not only was I German, but I was also Baptist, so I got strict and strict, like seriously. I got double whammy, I got marks to prove it. But the point is, when I grew up, there was a, there was, my mom did the best she could from, the, and I talked about this in the funeral the other day, from the light that was hers. And it's taken me a lot of years to catch this. In fact, it's only been the last two or three years where I really have come to understand that in a whole new, real way. And even though things were harsh, and I lived with bitterness for a long time, when that revelation of her journey kind of came to light through a circumstance which I won't share right now because it's too long. I saw a compassion that I'd never had before, but that compassion came to me. God spoke to me because I needed it. I was hanging on to an anger, a bitterness that was getting worse and worse. And what's weird is I don't have a single word of bitterness towards my mom anymore. Like, none. Like, that's a God thing, okay? That's a heart change from the inside out. And then I looked back at her life, and I knew the stories of her life, but it made me revisit all that she had been through. You know, the, in Germany, she, uh, her parents, her dad remarried, so she had a stepmother, which had new sisters, and boy, she was the brunt of that. You know how that can happen in blended families. This is like, this is way back when. Blended families are not a new thing. And then, during the war, dodging bombshells from raids. In fact, I remember one story where my mom was hiding in a basement, sirens are going, and a bomb fell through right into the basement of the building they were hiding in. It did not detonate. So, I'm lucky I'm here. <laughs> Think about it. She escaped, climbing over bodies of people she knew from other Bombings that were happening all around. It was like, this is, talk about PTSD. We, we talk about PTSD today, but they had it back then. There was no label for it. And you begin to put the pieces together and the stress of raising four kids in a new country, coming to Canada on a ship. Each of our parents have stories. The blessing you have right now is because of someone else. Everything you have is because of somebody else. And if we wake up and, and move on from any kind of entitlement we may think we have, and some of us don't want to admit it, you know, I deserve is a term today that is awful. I do, you, we don't deserve anything. We don't. 
I tell my kids that. They deserve, you know, like, I love my kids. I want to bless them. But we also need to make our kids understand they have to appreciate and value. How do we do that? I don't know. I haven't figured that out. Write a book and you'll be rich if you figure that one out. But to recognize all we have is from somebody else's sacrifice. Elizabeth Eby was talking about her home burning down. Um, how old were you when that happened? You two had just gotten married. Three months pregnant with your first son, and all your stuff is in the house, and it's gone. Most of it. 19 what? 1956. Okay. In when? January. That's like winter. That's awful. It's even worse. Okay. Another parent. Listen, we all have stories. Yes? Wow, so you never got to know your birth mother because she passed away when you were three months. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So those online can't hear this, but she's sharing a story of how when her mom died young, the attributes of her mom came through and people started to call her by her mom's name. So there is something through. Like I know there are times where I was looking for my adoption papers because there's no way I'm related to them, (laughs) right? But I am. And so (laughs) it's just funny, but it's true. And each of us has stories. Maybe today, is if we celebrate Mother's Day authentically, instead of playing the politically correct way of making sure we remember every single category, how about remember those in your own life and those that have invested in you without you even knowing it and be thankful? Today's a day just to be thankful. You know, even in, for Lori and I, you know, raising our kids and moving around to different places because of church, like, our kids got dragged along in so many things. That was not easy. And she carried the brunt of it. Well, I got to do all the people stuff. And oh, it took somebody else's blood and sweat for your blessings. Just don't forget that, ever. Okay, Eve, she had it rough. She was the first mom, according to the biblical narrative. And I'll say that carefully for those who know what I'm talking about. Um, but Genesis says, then the Lord said, it was not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Now, this word helper is, does not mean lesser. It's an equal. All right? Just in case somebody has taken it, the script the wrong way and tried to make male dominant and female subvert. No. I'm sorry. Jesus is the first women's liberator. Jesus is the first women's liberator. Raising them back up to equal. Okay? That's why I got in so much trouble. At last, the man claimed, this one is bone from my bone, flesh from my flesh. She will be called, whoa, man, because she was taken from the man. But I think it's a woman because of what he saw. (laughs) Whoa, man. No, I'm kidding. According to the narrative, Eve was the first woman and the first mother. She didn't have a mother to ask about how to do things. There was no mentoring. How the heck do you have a baby? What is going on? Ah! Like you can, can you imagine the newness of it all? It's like, oh man, 
can imagine poor Adam going, what? Uh, like, you can, like, honestly, it must have been absolute chaos and then trying to figure it out. She had the first crushing heartache, too, because her sons were involved in the first homicide recorded in Scripture. Whether it was the real first one or not, I'm talking about the narrative that has been given to us and handed down to us. She was also the first mom to have to bury her child, according to the narrative. Then we have Sarah, the mother of Isaac. Genesis 21, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as she had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what, she, what he had promised. In Hebrews, she's also mentioned, and by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabling, enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. Now, what's interesting is I work in long-term care, and to imagine any of those individuals getting pregnant and having a baby is, okay, Elizabeth, having a baby right now, come on. <laughs> you really want to start over? Oh, man. So this is, this is how serious this story is and how this narrative is, right? Yeah, she's saying, not a chance. All right. But here, she was going to be the mother of many nations. But she knew this, and nothing was happening. Nothing was happening. It wasn't happening in a timely manner. So Sarah decided to help God out. Oh, we do that too, don't we? We like to help God out. We pray for something, and then we help God out to get that answer that we have prayed for because we're so smart. Well, that kind of didn't go well, but God used it anyway. And, and by the way, God didn't go, oh, oh, I didn't see that coming. Plan B never happened. That includes the Garden of Eden. There was no plan B. There's not even a plan A, because that implies more letters. It was the plan. She gave her handmaiden, Hagar, as her maternal stunt double. That's what happened. This resulted in a child, but not the child that was promised. The child was Isaac later, who would be born. And he would be the father of Esau and Jacob. Jacob would father 12 sons who would become the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. And from the tribe of Judah would come David and finally Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, God's promised Savior. All through this. This is intentional. This is a plan. Not plan A. The plan was executed brilliantly. Although she struggled in her faith, God saw fit to include Sarah as the first woman named in the Hebrews 11 Faith Hall of Fame. And yet, the story tells us she questioned constantly. She even laughed when the angel people came and said, you're, you're Abraham, your wife's going to have a baby. And she went, <laughs> if she was drinking water, it would have gone all over. Yes. That's how crazy it was. Faith? What do you mean faith? God gave her the faith. Hagar, the mother of Ishmael. This is the stunt double, by the way. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress, Sarah, and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This is almost like going back to Sunday school days where you're learning all these stories again. But the biggest challenge, challenges Hagar faced were brought on by other people's choices. So what do you do when it's not your fault? 
You don't go blaming. It's because that's the first thing we do. Well, it's not my fault. It's always somebody else, and it's because of this, 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 this. You can whine all you want, and we're really good in our culture to whine. Like, seriously complain and blame and never take responsibility. And what I mean by responsibility is to move forward knowing it's crappy and still trying to find the best way to walk through it by faith. Instead of staying that spin cycle of, oh, it's it's all done to me. And you get a lot more tension that way, by the way. But that only lasts a little while. People grow tired of your whining and don't want to hear from you anymore. If you're constantly complaining and whining about, why are you doing say, well, it's bad, my dog died again, and, and all this stuff. Like, nobody wants to hear that constantly because the trouble should not be the constancy of our lives. What is the constancy of our lives then if it's not our trouble and circumstances? It's Jesus. I know exactly what you're focusing on by how you share, by what you speak about. The last two years has proven it. Maybe three years. Honestly, let that be a wake-up call to each individual. What you speak about and dwell about is what you constantly focus on. We're not called to focus on those things. We're called to focus on Christ in us. It'll change your language. It'll change your attitude. You'll become attractive and people will want to hang out with you. But if you're constantly chirping all these negative things, people are going to go tired of you. You're going to see more and more division. But Jesus isn't about division. He's about Union. So how are you participating in the narrative? Are you creating division or are you celebrating and embracing union? <laughs> Each of you can ask that yourself. Sarah chose, to, chose her to bear Abram's child and Hagar had little say in the matter. And when Isaac was finally born, Sarah looked for any excuse to have Hagar and Ishmael sent away. Holy jealousy. Not really holy, but wow, jealousy. She ran away the first time, but was sent away the second time. And both times, help came. That's important. The God of all comfort. Even sending an angelic being in this narrative. Mother of Abraham's first child, Ishmael, became the founder of the Arab nation. Do you know how in typical church world we... um, I, I, me, for me growing up, you know, to see Muslims pray three times a day, we thought that was weird. So that's, that's strange. Oh, maybe we should read our own Bible. Oh, maybe Daniel modeled it long before us. Oh, it's, it's biblical, if you want to go that far. So don't judge other people's patterns of how they pray. Don't even go down the road of judging who they're praying to. You have no clue. You think you do, but the moment you say, They're praying to the wrong God. You have just overjudged, and you've become a voice of darkness, and we need to stop it. We can say, wow, there's a person who values spiritual things deeply, and we can see the light in what's going on instead. Just think about that. Hagar, here's some things to learn. God is faithful to his plan and promises even when humans complicate the process. God shows himself as one who knows us and wants, us to, be known, wants to be known by us. God is relational. Rebecca is another amazing person. Mother of Jacob and Esau. We just heard about Jacob and Esau. In Genesis 24 it says, Lord, God of my master Abraham, if you will please grant me success to the journey which I have come. 
drink and I'll draw water for your camels too. Let, let her be the one uh, the Lord has chosen from master son. So here a servant has gone out. Well, I'll explain the story in a moment, uh, in the next slide. Here we go in Genesis 25, so this is 24. Two nations are in your room, um, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. This is a prophecy, but where's this all coming from? Well, Abraham sent his servant to his homeland to find a wife for Isaac. So this guy shows up, and I jokingly thought it was the lazy way. He just arrived, okay, I want this easy. God, you know, kind of show me quick. She's the one, there, done. <laughs> that's fast. But that's little, according to the story, that's what happened. The, the servant prayed, dear God, let the one who will feed uh, my, give me water and offer to feed my camels, let her be the one. And it was Rebecca. Um, the servant prayed and the right girl to offer water to him and his camels. Like her mother-in-law, Sarah, Rebecca was barren. And Isaac prayed for her and Rebecca to con- and she conceived twins. The Lord spoke to Rebekah, said, the two nations are in your room. The younger, the older will serve the younger. Sorry, yeah, the older will serve the younger, which is backwards for their culture. This is where the blessing was stolen, and she got into some trickery, because growing up, Jacob tricked Esau into selling his birthright for a bowl of stew. That's so much like a guy. <laughs> for food. <laughs> it's crazy. And Rebecca helped Jacob deceive Isaac into blessing. She participated in the deception. She saw the promise. And that's how it played out. Bathsheba. Whew. There's a story. This is the whole story of David sleeping with a person that he wasn't married to and then gets her pregnant and then has to bring the husband home, and anyway, here's how the story goes. The relationship between Bathsheba and King David did not begin well and involved several crimes. Adultery, leading to pregnancy, conspiracy to murder, and murder. Those are serious charges, aren't they? And you wonder why political leaders don't go to jail for this stuff? Listen, this is like 4,000 years ago. It's still going on then, okay? <laughs> Just don't be too shocked. God so loved Solomon because that's the name of the son that was born to them. Nathan the prophet called him Jedidiah, which means beloved of Jehovah. Bathsheba was a faithful wife to David. She was especially loyal to her son Solomon, making sure he followed David as king, even though Solomon was not David's firstborn. One which, by the way, was the tradition, that firstborn become the next in line. Only one of five women listed in the ancestry of Jesus Christ She's in the lineage. This conspiracy slept with story of cover up and all this stuff turns into grace. How is that possible? Oh, we're so good at judging, aren't we? Oh, they're making terrible choices. Oh, and we have all of our opinions. And yet, God is looking at the long game. He's got something going on that you have no clue about. And it's not your job to figure it out. Bathsheba was wise and protective. She used her position to ensure both her and Solomon's safety when Adonai tried to steal the throne. See, having many kids from a few parents causes a problem. Jealousy, in-family fighting. Well, Caesar had a lot of people try to take him out. He even killed his own family members to keep the throne. No different back here. No different when it comes to power and control. And yet Bathsheba 
knew the promise that Solomon was supposed to be king. Just before David died, she made sure that happened. What happened to that little kid? He died, the first one. The affair child did die, and there was much weeping. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, it's in that narrative something profound happens, especially for parents that are wondering what happens to their child when they die, whether it's somebody that doesn't come to full term, dies early, David's, David is weeping and weeping and weeping while the child is sick, and when the child dies, he cleans up, and he prays that I might see him again. Even then, 4,000 years ago, there was a sense of hope in the afterlife to still see. People forget that. I think it's a hope-filled perspective. I love it. Jochebed, she's the mother of Aaron, Moses, and Miriam, and they all played a role in a significant story. This is about the Exodus. So when Moses, but, but when she could hide him no more, um, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated him in tar pitch, and she placed the child in it and putting it along the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister Miriam stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. And then eventually the Pharaoh's daughter found the floating baby, and Miriam's right there. Hey, want me to get a Hebrew mom? Sure, please find me somebody to take care of it, and I'll even pay them. So she gets the real mom. <laughs> the real mom gets paid to take care of her child. Like, how cool is that? I thought it was great. She's one of the underappreciated mothers in the Bible, showing great faith, taking great risks, because the Hebrew boys were supposed to be killed off because the Hebrew nation was growing so fast that they were going to overtake. Well, the, the Egyptians realized if they were really smart, they could take us over right now. But we can't let them. we got to keep them under the thumb. And they beat them harder, and slavery was awful. And so she put her kid adrift. Her baby was found by Sarah's daughter, or Pharaoh's daughter. God used Moses mightily to free the Hebrew people from their 400-year bondage. 400 years. This kid was the one God used. Miriam, the baby sister, watched to see what would happen. She also gave birth to Aaron. Jochebed did. He became the high priest of Israel. In fact, Aaron became a spokesman for Moses. Better get along with his siblings then, right? (laughs) Hannah. She was a profound one as well. She was the mother of Samuel. And Samuel, boy, he did a lot. He played a big role in in that Old Testament, Testament narrative. But Hannah was barren. Hannah, like many other women, had no kids. People in ancient Israel believed that large family was a blessing from God. Infertility, therefore, was a source of humiliation and shame. By the way, that was a pagan thought that came into the culture. People still believe that today. It's awful. To make matters worse, her husband's other wife not only bore children, but taunted Hannah mercilessly. Well, maybe she had one wife. Anyway, um, Hannah was praying so intently that her lips moved silently with the words as she spoke to God in her heart. This is where Eli saw her and thought she was being crazy. And she wasn't. She was desperate. Eli, the religious leader, misjudged her. So if even the religious leaders can misjudge, we all misjudge from external appearances. 
See, when we judge, we're judging into the heart, thinking we know the intentions, and we don't. Eli the priest saw her and accused her of being drunk. She answered that she was praying and pouring out her soul to the Lord, touched by her pain. Eli answered, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant you what you have asked him. How would you like to go to church, pray, and the minister says, get out of here, you're drunk. How well do you think that would go over? (laughs) Welcome to church. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. After Hannah and her husband, Elikai, returned from Shiloh to their home in Ramah, they slept together. Isn't that nice? Scripture says, and the Lord remembered her. She became pregnant, had a son, and named him Samuel, which means God hears. So she made a promise. If I have a baby, I'll give him back to you. How many people would actually follow through? And she did. But Hannah made a promise. Hannah followed through on that promise and handed her young child, Samuel, over to Eli for training as a priest. And he became one of the most influential prophets. God blessed Hannah further for honoring her pledge to him. She bore three more sons and two daughters. Holy smokes, from being barren to now five, six. Oh, man, that's pretty cool. Samuel grew up to become the last of Israel's judges, its first prophet and counselor to its first two kings, Saul and David. It was Samuel who confronted David about his, his adultery. But David respected, to, as king, he could, you know, kill Samuel right away for embarrassing him and shaming him. But David had a, a heart that trusted God and knew God's hand was on Samuel and was forced to listen. Her son Samuel is listed in the book of Hebrews in the Faith Hall of Fame. You know, if Aaron's proud of her daughter winning a gold for the gymnastics thing, and that's my girl. Well, here's Hannah going, that's my boy, Hall of Fame. <laughs> Elizabeth, she went through a lot with her kid who he ate locusts and honey, come on. But he was the forerunner for Jesus. Lots going on there. We don't have time to get into that. But uh, she was, he was part of that. Mary, oh my goodness, Mother Mary. <laughs> she went through a lot, okay? She was misunderstood. Mary was the most honored mother in the Bible, the human mother of Jesus. She suffered enormous shame and pain, yet never doubted her son. The angel told Mary and Luke that she was highly favored by God. This phrase simply meant that Mary had been given much grace or unmerited favor from God. Even with God's favor, Mary would still suffer much. Underappreciated moms. There's more behind the story of the superstar kids. There is a mother who has carried... In fact, take a look at all the parents of young, young babies and young, young, they're, they're just flat out exhausted. It's tiring, it's exhausting, and there's, there's no sleep, and you wonder how you made it through. I wonder how they made it through. I wonder how we made it through. I don't know. <laughs> there's much blood and sweat that went into your success. Even if you thought your mom was a terrible mom or you didn't know her, somebody went through much for your blessings and your pathway. Don't discount that. Live from that humility in thankfulness, and you will look like a thankful person. 
An entitled person who demands their own way is not a thankful person, but a demanding one. Which do you want to be and look like? Mothers tend to let their kids get all the glory. (laughs) The more we become other-centered like that, oh, I think that word's agape in the Greek. The more we become the expression of agape, the more the love of Christ spreads in our home, in our community, in our cities, states and provinces, in our countries. Let's be Jesus to others. Heavenly Father, thank you for how you have given much grace to mothers. May they feel some encouragement today. And I know it's only one day a year that there's a traditional honoring, but they should be honored every day. Thank you, Father. Amen.